Welcome to the Send and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Louis Nichols. In my day job at Sparkloop, I spend all my time helping the best newsletter operators and media brands in the world to grow their audiences. So I get to see firsthand what growth tactics, strategies, and channels actually work, which ones you should copy, and what mistakes you should avoid. And now, with this podcast, you get that access too. Every week, I sit down with a different guest, from industry experts to successful operators, and we go deep on the stuff that you need to know so you can become really effective at growing and monetizing your email audience. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Jason Woodruff. Jason is the founder and CEO of The Pour Over, maybe one of the most exciting newsletter growth stories of the past few years. Jason, we're going to dive into what makes The Pour Over so special today and how you're doing growth and monetization. Can you maybe kick things off for us with a quick explainer of what The Pour Over is and who it's for? Yeah. So the pour over is its current events, summarize current events. So similar to a whole bunch of other newsletters, our kind of unique proposition is that we're Christian. So we write about eight to 10 stories in each newsletter. And the three largest ones, the longer ones, we provide a Christian perspective with. The the remaining five, we don't do anything and it's just the news. And we are politically unbiased. So a lot of Christian news outlets have leaned conservative. And so our goal is to say, hey, we're going to be politically neutral. The only bias, the only kind of pressure is going to be kind of towards foundational biblical principles. And we just want to be a good, trustworthy news source. And we've had people that reach out and are like, hey, I love the pour over. I don't like Jesus, but those parts are clearly marked, so I just skip them and good work. It's like, hey, obviously we like the Jesus parts, but glad we're, we we have also the reporting stands on its own. So we have 340,000 newsletter subscribers, high 50% open rate. And then we have a podcast that gets about 10,000 downloads per episode and 100,000 followers on Instagram. Awesome. Yeah. And you're sending out multiple times a week, right? I think not quite daily at this point, but almost daily. Right. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yep. And we've been doing that for a long time. And uh, about every four months, talk about whether or not we're going to go five times a week. And it's been kind of interesting to remake that decision over and over. And and we keep deciding to stay at at three for now, but it's, it's kind of constantly an open topic. Yeah, well, let's let's rub some salt on that. We let's dig into that right now. Yeah. We'll we'll go into the history of of the pour over, how you got started, and how you kind of grew to where you are today. But if we're talking about that already, why why three times a week? Why not five times? Why not a weekend edition? Yeah. So when when it first started, it was once a week. It was just me. It was a it was a personal exercise to say like, hey, I'm I'm sick of not having news that. I can kind of relate to. And then we moved to three times a week. And originally the decision was just capacity. You know, like everyone was working another job. We just couldn't do five times a week. But we've we've stayed with that. The the argument for staying with three times a week is it's a little bit like Chick-fil-A being closed on Sunday. You know, like they say, like, ah, the the, the chicken tastes sweeter because you can't get it all the time. And there's a little bit of that. And and we have a really high open rate. We are frequently right around 60 or above 60, which is awesome. And I think in part of that is it's not there all the time. So like when you see it, if you like it, you're like, oh, the pour overs today. So there's a little bit of that scarcity. It also fits 
with our mission a bit, which is to say we shouldn't be obsessed with the news. Let's break the 24-hour news cycle. And a lot of daily newsletters will say that as well. And then they send a 15-minute email every day. And they, they say it only takes five minutes to read, but it's much longer than that. And it comes out five, six times a week. And it's like, that's still basically a 24-7 news cycle, you know, and, and you're just really consuming a lot of it. So those are kind of the two things. And then originally we said, hey, when there's advertiser demand to move to five, like that, the, the pressure will just be too great and we'll do it. And we've certainly reached that point. But we can also just, again, kind of scarcity, keep jacking up the prices and helps with work-life balance, all that. So those are all the reasons that we've stayed with three. The, the reasons to go to five are financial, you know, it, it, to just boost inventory by 40% is it's, it's rare that you have an easy button like that. And again, like kind of the missional argument is to say, hey, we want to inform people and help Christians think about news early on when they hear it from a framework of their faith and and not let it just be rooted in political ideology or whatever. And and so the sooner we can get to them, I mean, if if there's a big news story that happens Wednesday morning, they they're gonna hear about it five times, six times before our email arrives Friday morning. And so that's that's the argument, kind of the missional argument. Interesting. Okay. I like that. It's Whenever you talk to different newsletter operators, you very quickly realize that every argument for something also has a compelling argument against that same thing. So you'll have people sitting here with a daily newsletter going, oh, well, we went to daily because we wanted to, to habit form. We wanted everyone to get into the habit of reading every single day. And that's why our open rates are so high. And then you'll have other people going, well, the reason our open rates are so high is because we don't send every single day. So when we send something, people open. It's, it's almost like we're uh, making it up as we go along. Oh, there, there's a fair bit of that as well. So what I want to do before we get into some of the questions about how the, the pour over is, is doing today and, and how you're thinking about the future, I'd love to take a quick look at, at how you got to where you are today. And really what I want yeah. to do is I want to look at this from the perspective of somebody who is thinking about starting their own newsletter and hoping to mm. grow it to, to you know into a sustainable business like the pour over and they're looking at you and they're looking at tens if not hundreds of thousands of other newsletters that on the surface all seem kind of similar and started at the same time and have a couple of hundred subscribers now rather than a couple of hundred thousand so really what I want to get at is is why is the pour over different what did you do differently why have you been successful where others who on the surface were doing similar things haven't maybe we can start with like the first 100 subscribers like where did the idea come from what made you push send on the first edition and where did you get those first 100 subs from so like I said the the motivation it was it was a personal exercise and it was me saying hey I I like the news and it it is frustrating to me that as a Christian who says my faith should be the biggest part of my life and my worldview, my options for news are all something that puts a political ideology first, you know, and and even news sources that are claiming to be unbiased are politically unbiased. It's it's the same yardstick. And a lot of news sources that are claiming to put their faith first, it it's just like, wow, it's amazing how much your faith aligns exactly with your political ideology on on either side, you know? And so it's like, man, why is this so hard? So that was the motivation. And I was talking with a friend over dinner and I was saying this, I'm like, I'm going to do this. Like I have, like it was, I was 
getting my MBA at the time, but we had just had finals and I had a few weeks before my internship started. I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to send you an email on Friday. And so I did, and we still have that. It's called like unnamed email. And it was right after Barbara Bush died. So that was the big story. And it looks completely a thousand percent different from what the pour over looks like today. And so really, I would say the first thing is the the first hundred subscribers came from friends and family. I knew all 100 of them. Like I had all of their cell phone numbers. That's where they came from. And, and it was, it was scary and hard, you know, like that was one of the first hurdles was to be like, Hey, like, yeah, I guess I'm actually going to like promote this and like put my name behind it. And, and that felt vulnerable and hard. When did you actually do that? Did you do that after the first send or like in the first couple of weeks? The first one actually went to probably like 10 people. So there was a little bit of that, but those were like, you know, mom, dad, wife, like really, hey, even if this is horrible, there's there's real there's no real risk. And I mean, after a year, we had like 250 subscribers or something like that. And so that would be my first piece of advice is it exists today because I enjoyed doing it and the early writers enjoyed doing it. And it was like, hey, this really is because there was there's no money in a newsletter that has 250 subscribers. It just it's only potential. So there were three of us kind of working on it at the time. And I don't remember when this was, but we set a date of like, hey, by this date, we need to have 2000 subscribers. Otherwise, we're ending this because it's a lot of work. And we missed it. And no one mentioned it. And we just kept going. And very glad we did. But so I I think that's part of it is, hey, you got to enjoy it. And you got to listen to feedback. Like I said, the the first it looks very different. And the changes were like, we changed the name, we changed the type of news we covered, we changed all this other stuff. And and I think part of it was there was a thought, like, obviously, I liked the content. I also liked the business side of it. And so we monetized way earlier than made any sense. You know, it was like, we were wheeling and dealing to get like a $25 ad placement and brought on Mitch, who also works for Sparkloop to help monetize it in early 2021 when I think we had like two, three, four thousand subscribers, which like that's a hard job to to sell ads when you just don't have a big audience. And so a big part of that was, hey, we wanted to create a sustainable business model and we really liked the content, but both of those things were enjoyment you know, and the pour over always had to stand on its own. Mitch asked for a, an email like Mitch at the pourover.org email address. And I was like, dude, that's five bucks a month. We cannot afford that. And so he, he didn't get one, just had to use his Gmail to make the first few sales. And uh, he, he, but, he's still being very cheeky. He's asking us for a sparkly email address. Right. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> horrible. So, but there was a, a weird switch where like early on it was like, Hey, I'm not going to, even if this is something that Jason can afford, it's something that the pour over can't. Now those tides have turned where it's like, Hey, Jason's not covering the, you know, even our, our like mug order, you know, (laughs) but the pour over can. And, and so if I were to start a new newsletter today, I would, because I know the potential of it, I would invest a lot more money in it to get it moving faster, but we didn't do that. It was, it was slow. It was less than bootstrapped, you know, like it, it had to provide for itself. 
I love it. Yeah, it's it's one of those really interesting things. Talking to people who started, you know, a couple of years ago, it's amazing how much just over the last twelve months the mindset has completely shifted to it being acceptable to be aggressive about subscriber acquisition in the early days mm. and to put some money behind it. Because the the really frustrating thing for us, even at Sparkloop, just like twelve months ago, eighteen months ago, was that. Everybody had this perception that newsletters all sort of just grow one way and that doing anything paid to grow your newsletter is bad and it's going to result mm-hmm. only in low quality subscribers and basically that that nobody does that. And then you had all these, you know, and you'd say, well, look at, I, I won't name any names, but look at these really big newsletters that have grown really quickly. Oh, something they must have got lucky or they must just have exceptional right. content or something like that. And the answer is no. They like, all- no, they're spending half a million dollars a month on growth. You know, like there's some articles out there where those those big newsletters are like, yeah, we grew a ton in 2018 because we spent five million dollars. It's like, yeah, well, I mean, the referral program is awesome and they are still our highest quality subscribers. And it's they're the cheapest, highest quality. Absolutely. But the problem is that it, it doesn't it doesn't scale on its own. Like it is as you scale from paid, it's just a, it's an organic boost to everything else. But like, if you just wait for that alone, which is what we did, it, it takes years, takes a really long time. And the content's got to be on point and shareable. And uh, yeah, totally. It's, it's just, you know, all these, these large newsletters that if you peek behind the curtain, nearly all of them had some huge ad spend or they got really lucky with being recommended in another publication where they had a friend who got them 50,000 subscribers, you know, on day two or something like that. Or they, mm-hmm. they took part in these, you know, in, in like courage campaigns where they just get, you know, a whole list of a hundred thousand subscribers dumped in on like week three. And okay, most of them were rubbish, but they, they still had like 10, 20,000 good ones at the end of it. So it's mm-hmm. nice to see that people are being a lot more realistic nowadays about like what's yeah. actually happening and <laughs> that it's okay to, you know, to, to, you don't have to sort of suffer in silence for years. It's not like a noble profession where you have to, to spend three right. years in pain just to, to earn the right, right to, to grow. So I guess when was like the, the first inflection point for you with growth and you're sort of chortling along, you're enjoying it, you're writing, you're learning a lot about the audience, you're selling these $25, $50, $100 um, ad slots. Mm-hmm. When did things start to to really kick up a, a gear, would you say? So it was early 2020 and we had someone reach out to us just like a Facebook message because we were running Facebook ads, but they were bad. And someone reached out and was like, hey, like, is this a pandemic project? Like, love the mission. And he's advised on a bunch of e-commerce business and other stuff. He he's in his 30s and and so we just started chatting and it's like, yeah, like, you know, started before the pandemic, but here's what's going on. And he he just brought like digital ad experience and other stuff and was just like honestly came in and gave a fresh outside perspective of things that I saw but just kind of wasn't confident enough to move on where he's like the the cost per acquisition is a lot lower 
than the value of a subscriber. Like, why are you not dumping money on this? And I can get your cost per acquisition down. And he did. Like, he ran our Facebook ads for a little bit. It was early on and we were benefiting from all sorts of new stuff. But we could get subscribers for like 25 cents for a few months. And it's like, we were just started dumping money on it. And that was the light bulb moment, you know, that that you're talking about of like, wow, we don't need to suffer quietly or just wait for purely organic growth. Like these subscribers coming in, we we have a valuable offering. These subscribers coming in are are valuable, good, engaged readers. And we really need to think about, hey, there's the there's the content side and we have all the operations set up and running. And then there's the like business side of we need to invest in figuring out how to not just create good news content, but good ad content and figure out how to run TikTok ads and Facebook ads and Instagram ads and all that stuff. And so it was early 2020 that we saw the first inflection point. And like we went from 3,000 to 10,000 subscribers in the first half of 2020. And it was like, oh, wow, this is this could work and ended the year with 25,000 subscribers and then obviously grown a lot since and just have systems in place that are kind of always on and and always generating new subscribers. Yeah, let's talk about some of those those systems then. Can you give a, a breakdown at the moment of like where where growth is coming from? Yeah, so we most of our paid I'd say it's probably like 75% of our paid growth is still on meta. We were kind of constant. We have not figured out TikTok. I can't make a good TikTok to save my life, but we know that there's a potential there. And so we keep putting a a few thousand dollars a month into that of like, I'll make a few, we'll pay people for a few. And it's like, we're kind of waiting for that to hit. We know we see the potential. And then the other 10% or so would be on, on the partner program and just kind of more affiliate stuff. We, we have the pour over up on the partner program. And then we like reach out to people and say like, hey, you should go do this. And, and we're launching an influencer version of the newsletter where basically it's all the same content, but instead of get 10 referrals and get a mug, it's like, hey, we'll just send you the mug and the shirt and the sticker and we'll give you $2 per referral. So it's more than just putting it out there on the partner program, although that gets us a lot, it, we, we do kind of push that as well. Yeah, I love that. I was I was talking to Stefan, who runs the the alts, the, the alternative investing newsletter, yeah. who they, they've been doing the referral program with us for a while, and it, it's, it's going well. And then they started bringing in the partner program as well, where they can, you know, in effect, pay per high quality subscriber. And they said, like, the difference there in terms of like, just figuring out people who like the newsletter, who have large audiences, inviting them to become a partner and saying, hey, for every good subscriber you send through, you can make whatever it is, a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, and so on. It's just been been huge for them. And they've been able to invite so many different influencers and other newsletters and people to do that. So I, I, I'm very excited about that part of it over the next, let's say, year or so. I think that's yeah. super smart. Cool. So that's the paid growth. How about the the non-paid stuff? What have you got going on there? So we have the referral program and and that, honestly, I don't even pay attention to it. It's just always on. It's always working. We do some like paid on that of like, we'll do giveaways and things to kind of push it and love doing that because one, 
the cost per acquisition is still so low. And we have found like guaranteed instead of like, hey, enter for a chance to win an iPad. We'll do if you get two referrals, we'll send you a $5 Chick-fil-A gift card. And on the surface, that means, oh, we're paying for a $2.50 lead. But a bunch of people get 10 referrals and a bunch of people get one. And so like it's way cheaper than that. And it has the benefit of that then pushes. There's some hurdle, like the first referral is hard. And so like to just get someone to be like, oh, like I can, I can send this to two friends. And then they have two referrals. It's like, oh, I I get how this link works. I get whatever. So that's a, a little bit paid, but the organic stuff. And then we do cross promotion and other stuff, but I really don't like those anymore. It's just in my mind, it is always a favor we're doing to someone else or for someone else because the quality is so hit or miss. And so it's like, hey, if, if there's someone that's looking for help and and trying to offer something in return, like we, we may do it. But yeah, I don't I don't really consider that a, a source of growth. It's, it's interesting you mentioned that about the the giveaways where you have like the the guaranteed what we call like the time limited referral reward where you you just, you know, make two referrals this week or this month and you'll get get this specific thing. Because what we see is that as the newsletter grows, you'll find it easier and easier to to find partners, sponsors, brands who will provide you with the prizes. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, the larger your audience gets, the less likely people think it is that they'll be the one that will win. Everybody overestimates how many people are taking part in these giveaways and they think, oh, I have a a one in 10,000 chance of being the one who gets the iPad or whatever it is. It's a lot better than that. If you're listening, I mean, I guess if you're listening, you're probably a newsletter operator. But yeah, it's like we'd give away, we gave away a Peloton at Christmas one year and we got a whole bunch of people being like, oh, like this will never work or whatever. And it like, it wasn't as big of a hit as we thought. It's like we had a few hundred entries. It's like one referral and you could win a Peloton. And everyone thinks they have like, oh, there's 75,000 people on this list. I have a one in 75,000 shot. It's like, no, no. So the, the, the guaranteed, it like triples the performance. Now, it's more money that you pay out. But for all the reasons I said, it it's the cheapest form of paid that we do. And I yeah. think has a long tail in terms of just organic referrals after that. For sure, yeah. I mean, I, I love combining them. So I love thinking about the the ways that people are, are, are interested in sort of like what their risk tolerance is almost and saying, okay, well, the ideal giveaway for me is one where you have the person who makes the most referrals get something for sure. That way, hmm. anyone who has a large audience is incentivized to take part. Hmm. Someone at random who makes a referral gets a big prize as well. Because the people who don't want the small thing, but just really like the idea of, you know, I'm always going to buy the lottery ticket because maybe today I'm the one who gets lucky kind of thing. You get those people as well who, who are interested in a small chance of something big. And then for everybody else, you have the opposite. You have the big chance of something small, right? Which is just make two referrals and get that thing. So I like combining them them all together. But it's, it's definitely interesting how the, you know, make a referral and like the more referrals you make, the, the more entries you get. It's very, very tricky to do once your audience gets past like 20,000 subscribers, unless you have a huge reward. Like it needs to be either like, for some reason, Apple products always work. And other than that, it needs to be something really big, like a car or a huge holiday or something like that. 
It's interesting. Cool. So awesome. And then on the the revenue side of things, what's what revenue streams do you have? Just advertising, or do you have other stuff that you, you do as well? So advertising is like ninety percent of maybe a little over of our revenue. We sell few premium ad placements. There's one real ad that looks like an ad. Well, it doesn't look like an ad. It looks like a story, but it's like gets the logo. And then we in every email we have our picks of the week or whatever. And those are paid as well. And so combined those are over 90% of our revenue. And then we have a it's just called choose to pay. And you can pay what you want. It's a minimum of two dollars a month. And then if you do $50 a year, we give you something. So we incentivize that annual. And that's it's great. It's recurring revenue. Like I said, about 10%. We, we give it one ad placement a month and it always pays for itself. You know, like we continue to do it because we can bring in as much as we would have sold it for otherwise. And I do think some of why that is successful for us is that there's a faith component. And so I don't know how well that would work in in other settings. And we also like, because of that, we have to be really clear, Hey, this is not a donation. It's like you're paying it pay is written everywhere. It's a subscription. If you want to make a one-time payment, it has to be $200 or more. Like you can't just like send us 50 bucks. And so there, there's some like nuance around all of that. And then I, the other way to break down our revenue is again, like, 90%, 95% of our revenue comes from the newsletter. We've never really tried to monetize podcast or Instagram very well. And the podcast, we've gone back and forth. And what we're doing right now is it's just a, it's like a sweetener. So if you run it in the newsletter, it'll be on the podcast as well. And, and that's just because comparatively, the podcast audience, it gets 10,000 downloads when the newsletter gets 180,000 opens. And so it's just hard. We have a small team. Mitch, who sells our ads, is only part-time for us because he's full-time with you guys. And so it's just hard to have him focus on selling a podcast ad for 200, 300 bucks when when he could be selling a, a newsletter ad for many thousands. Yeah, of course. Well, let's talk a little bit about the podcast because I that's one of the the trends that that seems to be picking up at the moment is launching podcasts and other types of media around the newsletter. Yeah. So we've seen Morning Brew do that recently, right? They've launched their podcast quite recently and they even bought the whole like YouTube and TikTok studio they did, that they bought recently to to bring out a lot of that short and, and long form content. How are you thinking about the podcast? So for us, I basically don't think about the podcast. So we use a company called Podletter and Basically, what we do is when we have finished creating the content for our newsletter, we send it, We like I ping them on Slack and say, hey, it's done, it's ready. And then they record it. So it's the exact same content, just in a podcast version. And they record it, produce it, edit it, publish it. And so for months at a time, the only thing I do is Slack them saying that it's ready to record. And then have discussions with Mitch over whether or not and how we're going to monetize it. And and I think that's what's different. And when we first launched it, I was like, no one else does this. Like Morning Brew has a bunch of podcasts, but you can't listen to their flagship newsletter. And I was like, I, I kind of like, I have this hunch that they've all tried it and it doesn't work. And so they've killed it because like, 
all the big ones just don't do it. And yeah, it's been great. Like we, it's has like 4.9 stars and people who like the podcast love the podcast. And the way we think about it is obviously a podcast listener is less valuable than a newsletter subscriber to us for a number of reasons. I would say primarily because we focus on monetizing the newsletter and have figured out how to do that well. But there are people that just don't like email, don't read it or whatever, but will listen to every single edition when when it's the when it's the podcast. So for us it's a little bit more of like brand we we don't promote the podcast very much, but it's it's linked at the top in the header of every email like hey, you can listen to this as a podcast. And like I said, it's gets 10,000 downloads occasionally an episode will kind of pop off and we were one day last year like the the 12th biggest news podcast in in the United States and so it is very minimal effort and ha- has been great for kind of brand loyalty and just kind of meeting meeting readers and customers where they're at yeah i i i love podcasts for that reason i think if you ever meet someone who reads your newsletter they'll be excited to meet you, but they feel like a stranger. Whereas you can always tell if someone listens to your podcast or watches your YouTube videos, because they'll come and talk to you like they know you and you don't know who they are, but they're, talk- they're greeting you like you went to school together. And it's like, I- I- should I know you? I don't know you. And they're like, yeah, of course. We spend two or three hours together every week. Of course, we, we know who we-, who we are. Yeah, I think it's super useful, especially if you're trying to to monetize via direct products or something like that at some point, just the the closeness can be, can be so valuable. Yeah. And, and so shameless plug pod letter and which I guess the relationship is a little weird, but I would likely get paid somehow if someone does sign up it's so pod letter, I had friends in high school that started a production agency. And so they do audio and video and make like, documentaries and 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 things and this is just they reached out they're like hey we could do this for you so we're their only client like pod letter and the pour over there's a close relationship there but because it's been working well we're like hey we should again no no more work for me if you guys find other newsletters and so open open for business and and interest if there are other newsletter operators that want to to use pod letter yeah i mean i'll put a link in the show notes cuz i think it's i mean i've i've listened to a couple of episodes I think it's really well done and it's such a snappy like turnaround time. And I think it is really, really valuable to to at least test out, especially I almost think like even more in other spaces outside of like the, the daily news space. I think if you have like a more long form newsletter and you're doing something around marketing or tech or something like that, people are super busy and being able to listen to that, I think is... I know I myself would like prefer almost every newsletter in a podcast form, to, to be perfectly honest, like, or at least the option. Cause I like, whenever I'm sitting down for like five minutes to read a newsletter, I'm like, I should really like, well, A, I read so many for work and B, like, I should really be like walking around or like doing something active right now. Yeah. 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 It's the, the podcast, it's a, it's an interesting medium for all the reasons you said, like it's, it's more familiar. It's, you can, it's mobile, all that stuff running the podcast. It reinforces to me how awesome a newsletter is when you, you like have so much more information on the newsletter reader and the links and all the stuff. Like it's hard to drive action in a podcast, but also there are good, like Spotify has like a, a relatively good 
auto monetization, like you can just drop in. And so that's another thing that is a benefit is like, it's a low CPM because they take a cut and, and it's kind of generic, but like you can monetize two listeners on, on a podcast where like we were saying before, that's really hard to do in a newsletter format. Yeah, totally. Totally. What do you think when you we're looking forward towards like, let's say we, we sit back down again in a year from now or a year and a half mm-hmm. from now, what do you think will have changed in the newsletter space? Thinking about growth and, and revenue in particular, like what do you think more people will be trying? What are you excited to try out over the next year, year and a half that you think is going to be important? I think specifically over the next year, year and a half, if there is some, well, and already kind of like some re- recession fears and other stuff, I think raising money will be harder. And I think we might see a few well-known names just kind of fold, you know, that got out over their skis of like, they they appear to be doing better than they are. And so I, I think there's this, like part of what your, your question earlier, like why did the pour over succeed when others didn't or, or just still smaller? And, and I think it, it's, it's kind of twofold. One, we reinvested everything, but we also didn't over lever ourselves. You know, and and so I think, yeah, like it, it's just a balance. Like y- you got to invest in in growth, and there are so many opportunities to do that. But like, be logical and also figure out the revenue side. And like that's why I love the the partner network. Is like it's it's also a good source. Like we recommended, uh, we recommended a newsletter. Put in a magic link in our email on Monday, and it is our our single day most valuable most money we've ever made from a newsletter was monday because that magic link and partner link just went off you know and we pitched this other newsletter and so it's like man what an awesome way for us to both grow and make money you know because this is a bigger newsletter that that has a good budget and all this stuff so figure out how to monetize the podcast and don't get out over your skis. I don't know for us specifically, what we want to figure out over the next year is working with influencers. It feels like that. And, and some of this is probably like, it it depends on, on the content, but we've never, we've haven't done much with influencers, but it feels like that's the potential to really go off in, um, you know, like, specifically paid, you know, it's like, Hey, we can take the guaranteed get conversions for $2. But if we cough up, you know, 10 grand and get the right person to promote it, could, could that 10 grand bring in 50,000 subscribers, you know? And then it's like, that's just a totally different math equation. So we want to figure that out. And I know other people have like, and, and seen success, but you know, it's what we're selling is free. So feels like we were late to the game on that and, and need to invest in, in figuring that out. The question I like to ask is obviously you've been in the trenches building this over the last couple of years. You've seen a lot of what's worked a lot of what hasn't worked. What's a question sort of from the perspective of someone who is slightly earlier on with their newsletter? What's a question that I should have asked you, but I didn't? Most of our conversation, understandably, was around the business side. 
And like the content is the business. And that's one of the things that like, as we're hiring, the the thought was always like, hey, let's hire more writers and just have Jason not write, you know? And, and now we're saying like, no, actually let's hire more business people and make sure that Jason can always devote half of his time to writing because that's the way this all falls apart is like if the content stuffers or, or whatever. So I think it's a balance because I also like people will come and talk to me and be like, Hey, I want to start a newsletter or something. And and they think that those people are always creators that only focus on the content and think that there's just like easy buttons to grow and monetize it. And it's like, Hey, that's half the business, but also it's tempting to just get sucked into that and and focus and then be like, oh, shoot, you know? And so like uh, protect the time that is around the content because that's the longevity of the product and, you know, and, and pay attention to feedback that you're getting on the content. It, the subscriber is a person that you actually want subscribed. There are tons of crazy, weird, wacko people. And it's like, if your alarm goes off of like, hey, I don't like this person, then take what they're saying with a grain of salt. Like there are a lot of people in the world and you don't want all of them subscribed. But if there are people that seem to be like, Hey, this is your target customer and they're leaving or doing something. It's like, man, figure out why that is and and protect the, protect the content. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear you pitching to to come back on very soon and talk about the the content side of things. That's, that's a very generous offer of you, and I'm sure we'll yeah, take okay, you up on okay. it. Okay. Awesome. Well, Jason, where can people go and find out more about you? Obviously, they can go over to to the pour over. I'm going to put the link in the show notes where people can check yeah. it out themselves, and we'll put the link into to Podletter as well if people want to to check that out for their newsletters, which I think would be would be a great idea. Where else should people go and find you if they have questions or thoughts or yeah, you can email me at jason at the pourover.org, but I don't do much personal social media or anything. So if you find the pour over on, on Instagram and message asking for me, it, it, it will eventually be filtered my way. Awesome stuff. Well, Jason, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Send and Grow podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three quick ways that you can show your support. Number one, leave us a five-star rating or review in the podcast app of your choice. Number two, email or DM me with some feedback with your questions or with suggestions for future episodes. And finally, number three, share your favorite quote from the episode on social media and tag both me and our guest. All of the links for that are available in the show notes. And whatever option you choose, I am really grateful for your support. Thanks and see you next week.